Hello, and thank you for listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. I am Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. Do you need fewer distractions and less stress in your life? Do the constant text messages, emails, meetings, tweets leave you overwhelmed? You know, the demands of our modern lifestyle are wearing us down and taking a toll on each of us. Maybe you're not as successful as you would like to be, making as much money as you want to make, or as focused as you would like to be. So what is the answer? How can we get more success without adding more responsibilities and stress in our lives? Our guest today, Jay Papasan, is a best-selling author, real estate investor, and speaker on achieving success in our professional, spiritual, and personal lives. He recently co-authored the book, The One Thing, The Surprisingly Simple Truth Behind Extraordinary Results, and he's going to share with us the secret to getting what you want out of life. Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio, Jay. Uh, Thanks for having me. I'm super psyched to be here. Oh, we are psyched to have you. You know, I um, met you, I I heard you speak earlier this year, uh, and I think the presentation was on the one thing, and um, just so respected your work. I had an accountability partner in 2013 and 14, and we named our accountability group the one thing after your, your book and your concept. That is awesome. I love that. I like it when people, we write the book so that people will create change in their lives. And I can't tell you how rewarding it is when you've been holed up for five years working on a project like this to actually hear that it worked. (laughs) Oh, it works very well. It's a shift in mindset. Um, But share with our audience, you know, what your definition is of that one thing. Well, um, you know, we were talking before we started recording. I think that everyone's one thing is their one thing. It's a, it can be an intensely personal choice. Um, it can be defined as your purpose, right? What's your one thing? Why are you here? Um, at the same time, what we choose to do based on that, your vocation, a writer for myself or a programmer, that tends to be a little bit more discoverable. There's, you know, the best of the best of the best tend to focus disproportionately on one, at the most two things, but really usually one thing. And that's what we went out to kind of profile. What's an approach the average person could take to understand why they need to figure out their one thing for their life and their job, and also then how they could then apply it? Because I think you mentioned this already. The modern world doesn't really line up to help us do just one thing. In fact, it's trying to kind of service many, many things all the time. And so we felt like we could come up with a process by studying successful people and share that with people. So what is your one thing? It's cheesy. Um, you know, it's a bit of a story, and I'll just try to tell the elevator version. But my one thing, what became clear to me, what motivates me to, to be the best man and the best writer and the best dad I can be is I have a simple statement on my goal sheet to be the best father and husband I can be. And um, the way it came about, I, I had to write a book that I didn't want to write. Um, it was on commercial real estate, and I'd spent 10 years becoming an expert on residential real estate. And it was a small market, and I didn't think it had much upside. It was just going to cost me my summer. And I remember talking to my wife about 
basically interviewing subject matter expert, working with them, and kind of putting a minimal effort into it. And she looked at me, and my wonderful accountability partner that she is lovingly said, you tell your children that you're an author and a writer. You tell me that you're an author and a writer, and it sounds a lot like you're about to mail it in. Now, that's my memory of what she said. She probably said it a lot nicer than that sounded, (laughs) but it was very convicting to me. And I realized in that process that the reason I wanted to work hard, um, as much as I love writing, my motivation to kind of live the, the, our subtitle, which is about extraordinary results instead of just average, was that I want to always be winning the respect of my wife. And I want to be living in integrity with my kids. I tell my kids to do their best, and I can't just mail it in at the thing that's most important to me and then still look them in the eyes. And that conscious awareness um, helps me do my best every day. And that's what gets me out of bed when it's rainy and I don't want to do things and I'm not motivated. I fall back on that. So your one thing, ultimately, that kind of purpose statement should be something that motivates you to be your very best. And that's what it is for me. And I think it's probably different for everyone listening to this, but identifying that is a very, very powerful turbocharge to whatever it is you're doing. So how do you juggle, if, if your one thing is being the best husband and father, and it, I don't find it cheesy at all. I think it's, um, it's amazing, okay. right? Um, there, there is a good capper on that. I didn't say it. That book was called Shift Commercial, and I was absolutely right. It did not sell very many copies because <laughs> there weren't a lot of people out there to buy it. But it was voted by the real estate editors um, as one of the top three books that came out in real estate that year. Wow. And I was very proud of that because I, I, I couldn't stand working on that book. I wasn't as interested in it as I could have been. But I gave it my best, and we got a great result because of it. So that's, that's kind of the coda to that story. So <clears throat> sorry to interrupt you, but I wanted to put a happy ending on that. Well, good. Well, very good. <laughs> so that being your one thing, and, and mine is to lift others as I climb. Nice. So that's that's my one thing, my purpose, my, you know, whatever, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that includes family, friends, team, business, clients, you know, whatever. But um, you're a real estate investor. You're an author. You work, you know, you've got this um, coaching business with Gary Keller. You've got a lot of things going on. So how mm-hmm. do you stay congruent with your one thing and being focused and not chasing so many rabbits. There's that old Russian proverb, right, that I'm going to mess up about um, if you chase two rabbits, you don't catch either. Right. It's, it's what we open up the book with. It's in the opening pages. If you chase two rabbits, you will not catch either one. Um, here's the technique that I've learned from Gary, and I'll just say right up front, he's my mentor, my co-author, We researched this together. We definitely both contributed at a high level, but it all came from his idea. And this is, I think, what distinguishes him as an amazing entrepreneur who's built the number one real estate company in the world from right here in Austin, Texas, from a single office. And it's his ability to identify the priority and give it more focus than anyone else. So I've got five, six different businesses, depending on, you know, if you want to count an investing business, a business, but I treat it that way. And a lot of different interests, but my main focus when I show up every day is that I have to research and write. And that's the, the battle I fight every day. Did I get some pages in? Did I get some pages in? Because when I look at my world, the center of it all is the book. 
right? Our ability to write best-selling books is what opens the door for our coaching company and allows so many of these other things to happen. So I'm very clear about my one thing. And then um, on page 114 of the book, and it's something I always talk about in my speeches, we encourage people not to ask, what's my one thing, about everything, but to use the focusing question, we'll hit that, you know, this question about identifying it in just a few key areas. And for me, the thing that ties all of my businesses together, the one thing I can make a habit that would help all of them is I can use my status as an author to open doors and meet people and build my network so I can attract talent to those. And I think I shared with you, and we were talking about before the call, it's like I built a habit as a kind of an extreme introvert. Every Wednesday, I'm at a coffee shop near Barton Springs, and I'm meeting someone I don't know. And that simple activity over two years has just massively opened up our network and the people that we get to work with here in Austin. So I, I made that my one thing for all of the other businesses. And I, I want to go back to that habit because I think that's a very, very powerful habit. Um, yes. So we're going to put that in the parking lot for a moment. So focusing on that one thing, right? Um, you're wearing so many hats. Um, but every day you wake up and say, what? Well, the the focusing question, I'm not sure if that's where you're going. Every day I wake up and my one thing is I need to be writing, right? That is my overriding thing. When I ask the focusing question, which is kind of the heart of the book, the, the number one tool, what's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything will be easier and necessary? Now, what's the biggest lever I have in my arsenal that's always going to come back as writing. But, you know, it's not like we only get to do one thing. It's just that's the thing I time block. I put a lot of my calendar set aside for that activity. But on Wednesday mornings before I even get to work, I'll stop by the coffee shop, and that's where I can line up, you know, these appointments with talent. So that's that's how I kind of line up all of my other businesses. That's how you line everything up. And that takes an hour a week, right? That's one hour a week that adds 50 to really about – going to add about 75 people to my network this year that are business owners or entrepreneurs. So for you as a writer and me listening to you, I can think, okay, that's easy. He's a writer and everything else comes from his writing. For mm-hmm. someone who's an entrepreneur running a business or working for you know corporate America and having a family and friends and juggling all sorts of things, they may yeah. not be able to identify with, you know, they're not writers, right? So how, right. Can, how can you make it easy for them to identify what their most important thing is? You know, I think it starts with just making a, a tiny mental shift. You know, the first seven chapters of the book aren't even about the one thing. They're about all the other things people buy into about productivity that aren't actually lined up with it in our research. And so I think it's a mindset shift that I can give one thing disproportionate focus. The argument, I mean, we looked at a lot of successful people and successful businesses, and the pattern we saw is they gave one product, one service, um, one habit, disproportionate time in their lives. And everybody can ask the question, what's the one thing I can do for my job, right? Let's make it about professional life right now. Okay. What's the one thing I can do in my professional life such that by doing it, everything will be easier or unnecessary? That question, you know, came out of decades of coaching for Gary into very specific language. And I'll tell you, in my experience, most of the time when I'm sitting one-on-one with someone, I ask that question, 
they either know the answer and feel guilty for not doing it, or they're very close to the ballpark. I'm pretty sure it's got to do with one of these three things. My advice to them is, well, go try that on and make be habitual about that. Make a stand around doing that thing. Even if you have to start with five minutes a day, right, and just build on that little bit of progress and see where it takes you. And usually through a little bit of trial and error, people can arrive at, you know what, this is the thing. This is where I make my stand. Once you learn kind of how to do that, right, you, you identify your one thing, you, you build in a regular ritualized habit around it. You know, when I show up at the office, I have 20 minutes before I make my sales calls. When I'm, you know, an hour before lunch, I'll close my office door, I'll put on my headphones, and I'll start programming. There's, I've heard so many different recipes for how people will trigger, this is when I go into my one thing time. And they just strive to get into it longer and longer. But once you've done that successfully once, it's like a, a huge weapon in your arsenal. You know, I'll probably do three or four new habits for my life this year. Um, in our research, we found out it takes an average of about 66 days to form a new habit. Mm-hmm. Personally, I know sometimes it happens faster or sometimes a lot longer. Um, I did one um, earlier this year on meditation. And I'll tell you, for me, to quiet my mind, because i got a busy mind, like a lot of entrepreneurs do, mm-hmm. um, it's taken me a lot longer than 66 days to make waking up and beginning my day with a series of five times five of deep breathing exercises, which is my version of being quiet and calm. I wanted to incorporate a stress relief habit in my life. It's going to take me longer, but I, I'm pretty sure that I've got it about to stick and I can move to the next one now. I think once you figure this out, you look at the most successful people and you realize that's all they've been doing. They've just been doing it for a long time. They'll focus on one thing until it becomes habitual, and then they'll get something else and add it to the pie. And so you can kind of walk through your life. What's the one thing I need to do for my relationship? What's the one thing I can do to be a better father? What's the one thing I can do to be a better pet owner to whatever? And make a stand around that for just a little while in the grand scheme. And then that thing will kind of be a habit. And when you work for a habit, the habit works for you. It's a really kind of a miraculously simple thing that's easy in concept, a little harder to execute. And I've had many false starts. Like I told you, I started this meditation thing at the beginning of the year, and I'm still working on it. So it's about having an environment or putting an environment in place to support your habit as opposed to chasing goals. Right. You know, I think that you can ask a goal. You know, I want to start saving more money. Um, I want to have a certain net worth or I want to get out of debt. You can have a goal. And we teach some techniques in there like goal setting to the now of breaking that down into what is the activity that would line up with that absolutely the best. And then you can work on making that thing a habit. So it sounds like I'm missing words a little bit, you know, but I believe goal setting is very important. Um, But what actually makes goals happen is usually activities, right? Because I'm doing something, that goal is going to happen. And if you can narrow it down to one thing, it gives you extraordinary focus. And here's like a, a really subtle thing that I didn't even realize until we were very close. When you very clearly say yes to something, really clearly say, yes, you tell people I'm doing this thing. This is my one thing. It makes it so much easier to say no to all the stuff that gets in the way. And the only way I've been able to explain that 
is that using my marriage as a metaphor, I was really, really clear when I said yes to my wife that I was saying no to everybody else. We don't really have a lot of yeses like that in our lives, especially not when we make commitments to diets and other things. But we all know the times that we've said yes like that and how powerful it was. This is kind of harnessing that. I'm going to make a stand around this. I'm absolutely going to get it done every single day. And it's a very, very powerful thing to kind of incorporate into your your routine. It is very, very powerful. And it's not just about setting the goals. And I agree, setting goals is very important. But if there's no follow-up, just setting a goal does nothing, right? It's, all right, right, I'm going to set the goal. I'm going to learn a new habit, meditate this this year. And it's putting the activity and the habits and the environment in place to support meditating. You got it. And so you, it sounds like you're waking up every day and going straight to your meditation. Well, if you decided you were going to also work out and have coffee with your wife and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that's not supporting the meditation. We already do all those things. Here's what I've discovered. If you want to add something new to our lives, almost everybody listening to this, right, they're probably squeezing this in on a commute. Maybe they're walking the dog, right? They're not just sitting at their desk listening to this, most likely. They're probably doing something else because we're all really busy. If you want to add something else to your life, chances are you just need to set your alarm clock that much earlier. Um, there was a guy who did a study last year. He was a CPA in D.C., and I didn't think his book was that great, so I'm not going to mention the book, but the one stat that he had, he polled all of his clients, and he looked at the difference between the ones that were by net worth millionaires and then everyone else. People who were millionaires were getting up on average three hours before they had to be at work. And it's vastly different for the people who weren't millionaires. Yeah, you know, they were getting up on average like an hour before they had to be at work. And ask yourself, which one are you? Do you show up at work with wet hair because you've been rushing through your morning? Are you getting up when it's quiet, the rest of the world's asleep, there's nothing good on Facebook, there's nothing good on TV, and you could actually journal or exercise or read or meditate? I mean, kids helped me through this, I'll be honest. They got me up early, and I realized, wow, this is a fabulous time to do things. And I've incorporated a lot of my really core activities into that morning. I think I shared in my speech with at EO my wife and I, I, I weighed 245 pounds. I was way overweight after and before and after a back surgery. And I ended up slimming down to 210. And one of the fundamental things we did is we made a commitment to have a trainer show up at our house. That was the only time she and I could work out together. We both wanted to do the journey together. We had small kids, and we didn't want to leave them. And we didn't want to pay for a babysitter to pay for a gym. So we brought someone to us. And the only time this guy could meet us was at 5 a.m. Mm. And that was brutal, having mm. to get up and do a CrossFit workout in your driveway in Austin, Texas at 5 a.m. Because you have to get up at 4.40 now. But that was magic for us. Um, you know, one, it was an hour we got to spend together, three days a week doing something together, um, feeling better about ourselves, getting more energy in our lives. That's really drastic, but that was the way our life was then. We actually get up later now. But we still do that. That's our, one of our morning rituals. Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, we work out together with a trainer. And we had to make sacrifices to be able to afford that. But it's been huge for us. Very good. In your book, you discuss the domino effect. What is it? And how does it um, help in our search for f- fulfillment and success? 
it's our it's our nod to the reality that it's never just one thing. You know, the way that I try to say, at any given moment, right, at any given time, you can only do one thing. Um, we do, do work hard to dispel the myth of multitasking in this book. So if you've got one thing at any given moment and you have all these things to get done, the question, the focusing question is, what's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything else will be easier and necessary? What you're looking for is this longest domino run. Like, you know if you line up dominoes, you can knock over one and a whole bunch of them will fall over. And so it's the metaphor for what we're doing. What's the activity that will knock over the most dominoes? What's the one thing? It's the 80-20 principle kind of on steroids, right? That you get this majority of your results from a minority of what you do. You're just trying to be very purposeful about it. So what we want for people is a domino run. And what, wherever they choose to pursue this one thing in whatever area of their life, to pick the activity that's going to give them the massive results. Because results build momentum. And that is just a fact. You know, everybody loves to be on a streak. Um, one of the cool things we found is a, there was a guy that was wanting to be a comedian. And he was at an open mic night. And this is when Jerry Seinfeld still just showed up in New York for some of these things. He was already Jerry Seinfeld, but he was still kind of, he would mingle in public. He could do that. And the guy walked up to him, he wrote about it on his blog, and he said, Mr. Seinfeld, hi, I want to be a comedian. What advice would you give to me? And Seinfeld was like right to it. He goes, um, it's, just, it's really easy. It's just every day I want you to write one joke, and here's how you do it. Go get a big wall calendar, and every day that you write a joke, I want you to put an X over that day. And pretty soon it'll be less about writing jokes every day as so much as not breaking the chain. And it's this idea that when you get a run going, you don't want to lose momentum. We've been on this, working out, running, maybe a diet. And it can be really tough when you do. So kind of get a string going. And that's where that domino gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Because the longer you do something like that, the more powerful it is. You bring up so many great points. Um, you know, you had discussed earlier about habits taking 66 days, and I think conventional wisdom says 21 days, right? Um, but they- or 30, yeah. And all these books were citing the same research that really wasn't true. I think it was like from some AT&T call study or something. It, it, there was no science behind it. Right. It is 66 days. And there are sheets out there on the Internet that you can find. That's what I call momentum sheets. There's, you know, you've got little blocks, 66 of them. So if you want to develop a new habit, you know, you mark off the 66 days. And if you skip one day, you have to start over. (laughs) (laughs) So We have a free calendar on our website, theonething.com, with the number one. Um, and you can look up 66-day challenge and you oh, download I it. I have that. one on my door, and I use that. And whenever I'm doing a challenge, I'll just start texting it out and kind of the source of public accountability, too. You know, awesome. people will ask, what are you working on? I'm like, um, you know, I'm doing this meditation thing again. You know, every time I mess up, I have to start over. <laughs> yes, if you miss one day, you start over. And I, you know, there's stuff that I've done with the 66 days, and darn it, I do not want to start over, right? Right. <laughs> so, you know, that, that feed, that's an energy that feeds itself. And another thing that you mentioned. Very satisfying to get to the end of it. There's a lot that we do in the modern day, right, where we work all day, and we actually don't have any work product to show for it. And there's something incredibly satisfying 
about making that X. Like it's a tangible representation of progress in a world that doesn't give you that feedback cycle. Oh, um, so well put, writer. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that true? Like sometimes you get home and you're exhausted and your partner says, how was your day? Oh, I got a lot done. Tell me about it. And I'm like, uh. <laughs> right. Um, I got my one thing done. You know, I got, I got some pages. I can't tell you what they are exactly right now. But, um, yeah, last year in 2014, our whole company did a health challenge. And our CEO bought everybody a Fitbit. And um, everybody, we had half the company sign on um, to do 10,000 steps a day, which is what a Jawbone, Fitbit, whatever device you have, that's kind of like the, the baseline activity level if you just want to be healthier. And it's surprisingly hard if you have a desk job to actually get 10,000 steps. And um, because I wrote the book, I felt like, you know, I've got to participate. And I remember I looked at my calendar, and like the last week of the challenge, I was going to be fishing in Washington State for two straight days. And I got all the way there, and I'm, I'm thinking, it's like, you know, I've got like six days to go, and I'm going to be sitting, just sitting in a boat from mm-hmm. like 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., and it's Washington State, and it's 30 degrees and raining. Mm. And I ended up staying up to like 11.30 that night and walking in the parking lot <laughs> until I got my 10,000 steps. Because, by goodness, like I was that far into it. I just, I could not fail. I was going to, by hook or crook, figure out how to do it. And I think the next night it was raining so hard, I just paced on the balcony back and forth and back and forth while I was talking to my buddy. He was sitting on his chair drinking a beer. <laughs> Thinking, oh, thinking Jay, I'm just, crazy. Right, just sit down. Just don't worry about it. But Jay, it's it's that old saying: how you do one thing is how you do everything. And it's Ooh, a muscle that. that you build. And if you don't have that muscle, so many of us are so undisciplined. Um, and it's just a little muscle that you build over time. And it wasn't that important that you didn't do your ten thousand that one day, right? It, your health wasn't going to suffer for one day, but it was, it was a muscle, and you had built it up to the point where there was no way you were not going to do your 10,000. There was no way you were not going to get that check for that day. That's the way I felt about it. I was going to figure out how to do it no matter what happened because I just, that momentum had built up. You know, what's crazy is we surveyed people three months later, and um, a quarter of them were still getting 10,000 steps every day. That for them, right, so of the half of the company, so I guess that's an eighth of our company, actually successfully developed that habit and stuck with it. And, um, you know, that's the goal, right? It's the goal. It's like you, the best changes in life are the ones that you just, instead of saying it's a diet I'm going on, I'm making a lifestyle change. I'm going to eat better. That's when people take the weight off and leave it off, right? It's, right. A, it's kind of a, a mentality and approach to life that says, Instead of thinking of this as a temporary thing, this is just a commitment that I'm going to make to myself and my family or the reasons that I'm doing this. And it's going to be a change in the way I work. I got a stand-up desk, by the way. That was one of the commitments I made to making sure I got my 10,000 steps. I found that when I'm on the phone and everything, if I have a standing desk, I tend to get a lot of steps. I pace the office. I do all kinds of crazy things. I too have a, a stand-up desk, and I mine is um, electric, so it goes up and down. 
um, throughout ah, the day. Um, so I don't know how you, you would actually write as a writer on a stand-up desk, but um, I'm sure you could. I'm not a great writer. I so get a would... stool or I get my laptop and go to a table. Oh, okay. So, so you're for not the two or three stand-up. hours that I'm actively writing, I might have my laptop in the chair or I might be sitting on a stool um, if I need both screens for my writing. Well, you're right. For really serious long-form writing, I need to be sitting. But for email and phone calls, I can be Oh, yes. And it gives you more energy. You know, oh, my, gosh, yes. my phone calls when I'm standing up, when I'm speaking with clients or whatever, I've, I, I notice the energy is so different. And people connect with energy, right? It's not spoken, but they connect with energy. And if you're higher energy, they're going to connect with that higher energy. Um, they prefer it over low energy, right? There's been studies out there, especially for people in sales and business development, that you want to stand up to be making those calls. It makes a it makes a noticeable difference in your energy and how well your message is received. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would say health-wise, my, my chiropractor, he's like, it's just we spend so much time sitting, and all the muscles on the front of your legs and your hips, they start to actually shorten, and that puts stress on our back. Like a lot of lower back pain isn't because people are lifting weights. It's because they're sitting too long. Yes, it's the. I think they're calling it the new smoking, right? It's, <laughs> oh no, I haven't heard that. Yes, actually, yes. Yeah, sitting is the new smoking. It's just as bad for you, they say. But you know, I would think smokers are actually also sitting down, so they've got the double whammy. But um, there we go. Going back to what you were talking about in terms of the domino effect. It's. I think it's also about choosing those habits or, or creating those habits that give you um, the most leverage. Yes. So speak I a little one, bit about that. You know, the, the 80-20 principle is kind of the origin here. And I think that Gary just, he says it was like the law of gravity. Once he realized that this principle is actually kind of a success law in life, he just went all in. Like, you wouldn't doubt gravity. You wouldn't step off the roof without a parachute, right? And he doesn't doubt the 80-20 principle any longer. It's not conceptual or intellectual. But there was this guy, Vilfredo Pareto. He's an Italian economist in the 1850s, I believe. Mm -hmm. But he looked up and realized that 80% of the wealth in Italy was held by 20% of the people. And later, a guy named Joseph Duran, that was a quality control guy, read about this. I think it was at GM or GE. Um, and realized, oh, wow, you know, like 80% of the defects come from 20% of the flaws. And it, the numbers aren't exact, and the numbers actually don't matter. But what you, you start looking at who are the top performers, and the majority, call it 80%, of your results, your positive results, and actually sometimes your negative results, come from the minority of what we do. And so if you just start focusing on those things first, not even to the exclusion of all others, your results will go through the roof. And kind of the story that, like, the, the focusing question that I've mentioned a couple of times, you know, Gary shared with me, he was coaching some of our top franchisees and business owners. And, you know, coaching call, I don't know if you have a coach or not. I do. My wife does. But it's typical at the end of your call, you make your commitments for the following call. And Gary would say, so between now and next week, you know, what are you going to get done to move X forward? And they would usually come up with three or four things. And he got so frustrated because they'd come up the next week. <laughs> and even though the number one was really clear, they often would do a few of the things, but rarely would they hit the most important thing. 
And so he, out of frustration, he started, well, if you can only do three things this week, or if you can only do two things this week. And he really said it was almost out of anger, like parental anger. He said, look, if you can only get one thing done this week to move the ball forward, what's it going to be? And something kind of magic happened, Teresa. One, when they narrowed it down to one thing, everybody did it. And his aha was, like, if you only have one thing, there's no place to hide. Either you did it or you didn't. It's got nothing to do with doing these other things. And by narrowing it to one, even though clearly they had to do other things, but they did that most important thing, it created this kind of righteous momentum in their businesses, and all of them started exploding. And that's when he said, okay, I'm taking this law as far as I can take it, and started building his coaching and our business around that. And I'll tell you, it's true. I use this technique with my kids. I use it with my staff. Um, You know, we've been experimenting, and if someone makes a big commitment and kind of one of the truths, and I wish I could quote the research on it, but it's failing me now, if you really want to go run a marathon, right, at the end of this year, the Boston Marathon or the New York Marathon, and you say that, if you take one action, just one step towards actually doing that in the next 28 hours, 48 hours, the likelihood that you'll actually do it goes through the roof. And so just narrowing down, so what's the one thing you're going to do? And getting it into that action really quickly, is, it's, it's crazy how simple it sounds, but it really is effective. It's simple but not easy because we are in a world that there are constant distractions. Yes. People are multitasking. We've got our phones that are, you know, more more powerful computers than we had, you know, five, even five years ago or ten years ago, right? And right. everything is competing for our eyeballs and, and wanting us to be distracted. And it's just, you know, talk about multitasking because I think that's also so important. And there's so, so many myths around multitasking. I know. It's, there's, we have at least, I think, seven arguments in the book. I'll just hit the top three. Um, when you multitask, it, it actually costs you time. What's actually happening is you're switch tasking. You know, your brain decides to switch. You know, like you're, you're writing a long email and you can hear your kids arguing in the hallway, right, or coworkers arguing in the hallway, and you switch. And that switch is just instantaneous. You know, squirrel, you're just, your focus moves quickly. What actually happens next is your brain has to reorient to the new rules of the new game, and there's a lag. And most people are totally unconscious of that lag. If you've ever been that person focused on the email and maybe your spouse has come in and said, Jay, and just, you know they're talking to you. You can hear sound, but you're actually not processing language. And you say, I'm sorry, what did you say? If you've ever experienced that moment, that's that lag. And research suggests that people who work in a modern office environment with phones and emails, 28% of their day is lost to that effectiveness. That's like turning a five-day week into a four-day week. Mm-hmm. Massive cost in time. Um, it cost uh, effectiveness. Um, a guy named Clifford Nass was actually a scientist, and he passed away last year. It was kind of sad. Um, he was one of the people who really kind of blew it up and made multitasking kind of uncool. But he thought it was awesome. There were all these articles about it. He didn't do it well, so he designed a study at Stanford to figure out how multitaskers did what they did so well. So he identified a bunch of people who said they were awesome at it, and a bunch of people like himself 
who weren't, and he gave him a battery of tests. And if you, the quote we have from him, and I'm going to probably butcher it a little bit, but basically, <clears throat> multitaskers are suckers for irrelevancy. That every single test, including a test of multitasking, the low multitaskers beat the high multitaskers. So they were just fooling themselves. They thought they were being faster and more effective, and they were being slower and less effective on every single measure. And the last one is I think it causes more stress. And the research suggests that the longer you send switched from your primary work to your secondary, the longer that is, the less likely you are to ever get back to it. And I don't know about you, but loose ends kind of stress me out. I could use a lot fewer of them. So if we multitask a little less, we'd have a lot less loose ends in our lives. We'd actually get things done and completed, tied up with a bow. I love that feeling. So multitasking has a high cost. Um, so now having preached to people out there, and they're sure there's people going, okay, that's me, um, what I tell people is this is not a stop it all the time. I'm guilty of it. My, my kids call me out on it when I'm doing it. But when you're doing your most important work, right, if you're a brain surgeon, they won't let you multitask in the operating room. If you're a pilot, right, you can't have your cell phone out. You certainly can't while you're driving. So whenever you're doing the most important thing in your world, treat it just like brain surgery, okay? If I'm a writer, when I'm writing, I'm not going to multitask then. And I, I take it easy on myself, right? I'll let myself multitask if there's a baseball game on. I'll do the laundry, it's not important to my career that I do laundry well or watch baseball well. Neither of those. But if I'm reading to my kids or I'm having dinner with my table, at, you know, at the dinner table with my family, you know, the, stone, the phone needs to stay in my pocket because that has a high cost, too. And it's a relationship cost. I want to be there and be present for those people, my friends and my family. So that's the multitasking kind of in the nugget. It has a high cost, time, effectiveness, um, stress, and Pick your battles. When you're doing your important stuff, just put the phone away. Put it on, on Do Not Disturb. I'd put it on Do Not Disturb for this. Um, most people, hopefully, would do that when they go into the movie theater, right? They would turn their phone off or ignore it completely because they're there for this one thing right now, and they're going to be in the dark enjoying a good movie for a couple of hours. So lots of great stuff. I want to chat before we run out of time about your Wednesday meetings because I think it's just fascinating, especially for someone, you know, like yourself who calls them, you call yourself, what, an extreme introvert, right? <laughs> so you've got In this most habit. most behavioral assessments, my, my lack of extroversion is the thing that's most defined. <laughs> you know, I'm a writer, right? I, I like books. I like data. Um, so this is all learned behavior for me. Right, because writing is, you know, um, it's an introverted activity. You're in your mind. You're writing by yourself. It's not a group thing. It's not a, a, something that you need other people for, right? And you get your energy from being by yourself. And um, But you made a habit to go out once a week and meet with um, a stranger and have a meeting with them. And you have uh, amassed quite a network of professionals. Um, so speak about your Wednesday, your Wednesday meetings. So, you know, it, it came out of the coaching call. I needed to bring some new talent onto a business. And, you know, it was on me to go find and recruit that talent. And I hear my paper shuffling because I, I keep these numbers. And 
the first year, my coach and I agreed, so what's the one activity I can do, right? Where am I going to make my stand? And what we arrived at is if I could add 50 incredibly talented people to my network every year, then over time, my database, my network of relationships would be very, very powerful because what I find is talent likes to hang out with talent. And if you meet someone, and talent's just in quotes, right? It just stands for someone who's gifted, right? They're good at what they do, maybe a great wedding photographer or an entrepreneur. You can define it how you want. But for me, it was someone who's really, really exceptional. It wasn't about meeting with people that I needed to hire. If I needed a designer, I wasn't only meeting a designer. It's just anybody who fit that definition. And I even gave myself off two weeks, right? So I wasn't even going to do it for 52 weeks. It was just going to be give myself two outs, but it was going to be 50. And that year, 2013, I did exactly 50. The next year, I mean, I just barely squeaked by, right? I did the minimum because it wasn't pleasant, right? It was, I had to reach out. I had to set up these appointments. And I worked with my assistant, and it was like, uh, you know, I need to meet someone this week. Well, the following year, because that had gone well, like I actually, even as an introvert, I like people. Introverts don't dislike people. They just don't need them around all the time. So I would meet people for coffee. If I could help them, I would. What started happening is that people started referring other people to me. Oh, you know, you should meet so-and-so. People are flattered when you say, hey, I reached out to you because I've heard you're really awesome at this. I'd love to hear how you got that way, blah, 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 blah. You know, they, they thought that was a cool place to be. And it was not like I was writing blogs about them or anything. There was no reward for it other than this feeling of, wow, I was good enough at what I do that a complete stranger wanted to reach out to me. So I think anybody can do this. And then the next year, I got 79. So even though I was only consciously blocking off time to do it once a week, enough people started showing up of their own accord that, boom, I'd already blown through that. I've actually done close to 70 already this year, and I'm only halfway through the year. And so it starts to build momentum, right? It's that domino run that it gets bigger. It can, you know, one domino can knock over a bigger domino, and it can grow and grow and grow. And I kind of feel that happening now, that I'm saying no, you know, sometimes. Like, I just don't, I can't give it more time than I'm giving it. But that's kind of, that's the way it's working for me. And, gosh, I want to say out of the last, I'm just counting in my head, probably four hires that I've had to make or indirectly make in our businesses you know, at least half of those, if not two-thirds of them, have come from that one activity. And so you're meeting them for coffee early morning on Wednesday, and are you keeping, like, a database of them? Do you send them a card? Do you send them a book? Like, any follow-up? You know, or just, um, just meeting, and that's it. What I try to do is I try to follow up afterwards. Um, you know, if they didn't have a book, maybe I'll send them a book. If I Now what I'm finding, you know, is funny is more and more I have people that I've already met that I think they should meet. So a lot of what I'm doing is just making introductions. Hey, it was awesome talking to you. You know, I know someone who does that. Would you mind if I make an introduction? And most people always say yes to that. And so, yeah, you know, I don't have a formal um, database program, but I do try to follow up, you know, at least quarterly with everybody. Um, Just an email or a newsletter or an invite to an event, that sort of thing, just like you would do with anybody that you would call a work friend or an acquaintance, you would do some sort of maintenance. I mean, I definitely could improve. Um, I could probably do a newsletter or a podcast or something like that and have more reasons to reach out. But I try to be proactive and make sure that I'm offering something of value because they gave me an hour of their time 
And if I stay in touch, like when I've had openings, I say, hey, kind of a blast. Who do you know that fits this description? And the referrals have been amazing. So you've become a connector. And for someone self-professed extreme introvert is quite the accomplishment, Jay. <laughs> Thank you. It was, it was a process, right? It didn't happen overnight. Um, I'm proud of where I am, and I've got a long way to go. Um, but yeah, it helps. And, you know, I just need to, because it doesn't come naturally to me, I do have to have a, something of a system to make it happen. So you set up that system to support your, your new habit that would help you reach your goal, which was That's right. to, you know, expand your, your network. I have so much respect for, for you, for your organization, for the coaching that you guys are doing, um, the, the books that you guys put out. You know, I want to give you an opportunity to brag and, and share with our audience so they know how to get in contact and um, just, just um, have access to, to the stuff that you put out. Um, if people want to find out more, they should just visit um, www.theonething.com. We've got information about our book and pretty much everything else you might want to know, those free downloads like the 66-Day Challenge. We have a little workshop that's um, a, a workbook that's a free download for discovering your purpose. So we've tried to make some great resources available for folks so that they can, if they're enjoying the book and want more, they have a little place extra to go. And your workshops are great, and um, your books, and Keller Williams, and Gary Keller, and the organization he's put together. Um, so, Jay, thank you so much for um, joining us on Living Wealthy Radio today. You know, if your life lacks the productivity and momentum you crave, perhaps it's time to let go of what is holding you down. Perhaps it's time to focus on finding that one thing no matter what area of life, from work to family to personal, you can get back on track, revive your energy, achieve better results in less time. I mean, Jay Papasan, um, self-proclaimed uh, extreme introvert, has, has become a connector, right? <laughs> and I think, Jay, you know, you would say you, you're no one special in that regard. You really had to put together the system. I'm less than average, in fact, in that regard. I don't know. In that regard, maybe, specifically, right? But you're certainly uh, not average at all. Again, thank you so much for joining uh, Living Wealthy Radio today. Thank you for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. Download or subscribe to our podcast to hear a new show every week. I am Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com.